1: Uh, listen, as we wait for the white smoke to come billowing out of the NCAA headquarters to tell us which direction we are going with court storming because, oh, my God, a little dookie got hurt. of my eyes are burning. We'll continue to soldier on with Brad Underwood coming up. Uh, Ryan Clark went public, and it worked. He and Mina Kynes are making over $1.5 million to tell us what. Barkley making sense again. You know, when Barkley speaks, I have a tendency to listen, and I kind of dig it. Don't At Me starts right now. We are waiting, we are waiting, we are waiting. A dookie named Flip Flipowski tweaked his ankle in a court storming. So as we sit around and wait for the white smoke to come out saying there's been a decision by the NCAA, because when a dookie... Gets hurt. We must respond, ladies and gentlemen. We must. A dookie pushes a fan, tweaks his ankle, and we all must defend the dookie. Oh, yeah, God dang it, don't at me. We don't defend the dookies. We say to players, don't push people. Don't push fans. Jermaine Burton, don't slap fans. What are you doing? Don't be an idiot. But we are waiting. We are waiting for the law to come down. Hey, speaking of coming down, good for Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark went public. Ryan Clark's contract expired the Monday after the Super Bowl, February 12th. You know, Do you even know who Ryan Clark is? Do you? I mean, I feel like this segment here is for a small section of people. Do you know who Ryan Clark is? Well, ESPNNNN offered Clark an extension. He declined, posted on social media that he was worth more money. Maybe he is. But I got to ask you I got to ask you a question. Is there anybody that says, huh, I got to tune in because I got to see what Ryan Clark has to say? No. Stephen A. Smith, I'll give it to you. You do. You do. But Ryan Clark, hey, uh, I hope Ryan Clark's on get-up so I could hear what he has to say. No, I don't think so. No, but I got to give him credit. I never besmirch a man for making that green, yo. Ryan Clark got himself two mil, got himself a bag. He was hoping for a competing offer, but one never materialized, so ESPN was basically arguing against himself. But it just fascinates me. Like, I got to tell you, I watched the entire football season. I never saw Mina Kimes. Clark's contract expired on Monday after the Super Bowl. You see it right there. He complained via... X that ESPN re-signed Chris Mad Dog Russo in front of him. Well, Chris Mad Dog Russo, for those of you that don't know, is an icon in New York City, which, oh, by the way, is the largest media market in the country, which, oh, by the way, when he gets on with Stephen A. Smith, he's the only guy that Stephen A. Smith can, can back down to. Because when you are in the media, particularly the talk media, as opposed to the TV media, you know that Chris Russo is kind of the man. Mad Dog Radio, he's kind of the man. He threatened to leave the company, Clark did. He intended to drum up pressure on social media and specifically black Twitter to force their hand. Now, look, I don't know what black Twitter is. Is there like, I don't know, some kind of black Twitter? It's going to be fascinating to me what happens. Normally, I don't care about any of these guys. In fact, as soon as this show or this segment is done, I literally don't care what any of these guys do. But I saw something interesting. Our guy Stephen A. Smith actually said on his show, he never talks about any of his coworkers, his colleagues. And I'm thinking to myself, you just talked about Pat McAfee. Why do I bring that up? Because Ryan Clark getting his bag, getting his $2 million, when Stephen A. Smith's contract up, watch his appeal. Watch what he does. Watch how he compares himself to McAfee. Watch how he starts going to black Twitter. I don't even know where the black Twitter is. Black McAfee doesn't have to be as polished as me. He's white. I'm black. Race card privilege is alive and well and living in the great state of ESPNN. And I am here for all of it. I am here for all of it. I want Stephen A. Smith to tell me how white guys don't have to be as good as black guys in the media when, well, I've talked about this. Marshawn Lynch driving a car with no tires. Blackout drunk. Oh, man, how many commercials can we give old Marshawn? We can give him a lot. Richard Sherman, unlike his third arrest. Richard Sherman will be promoted, I'm sure, at Amazon. Oh, just stop it, stupid. Just stop it. And this is another example. Look, truth of the matter is, if somebody decided, hey, Ryan, you know what? We didn't like you going to Twitter. We didn't like you putting external pressure on us. That's what ESPN used to do with everybody. But now they're so afraid of not being you know, diverse enough, yo, of getting an African-American pissed off, which I don't know why you'd care about African-American pissed off, white dude pissed off. ESPN never cared about any of it. I say this all the time. uh, Last Supper, me, Mike Tirico, Allison Williams, Bart Fox, Scotty J. The Last Supper, Tirico's like, yeah, ESPN doesn't even offer me nothing. I'm going to leave now. This will be my last event. Same thing with Brad Nestle. These are two of the best, if not the best, play-by-play guys. But somehow we are acquiescing to just another run-in-the-mill guy on TV, Ryan Clark, and, of course, somebody that I I didn't see the entire football season making $1.7 million, the only Asian-born lady. I mean, how perfect is Asian-born lady? Like, look – Asian-born lady Mina Kimes, she could probably get the network renamed after her. Now, don't at me, people. I live in the real world. My agent, the great Maury Goss Gosfriend, uh, I asked, "Hey, can you represent? You know, my niece. She's great." Uh, well, hey Dan, do you know any African-American women? Do you know any Asians? Maybe an Asian-black woman that I that do you know? I can get them a job tomorrow. So just, I live in the real world. I don't live in the world of, well, I throw things out. No, no, no. I live in the real world. And the real world tells me that, once again, Stephen A. Smith's little, you're black, you got to be better, is total crap. Ryan Clark's not good. Ryan Clark is a mouth. Ryan Clark doesn't say anything interesting. Ryan Clark is typical. And guess what? Oh, this could get interesting. America's mouth, Dan Orlovsky. he's paying attention. Yeah, he is. Danny O is paying attention. Danny O, who is out there trying to get every job, he's dying to be a coach. Nobody will hire him. He talks about, yeah, I would go with that guy. Really? Well, I'd go for a full head of hair. Danny O says, note it. Note it. Okay, Danny O. Yeah, note it. Ooh, Danny O, you're a white guy. They ain't paying you. You do a lot of good work. In fact, you did so much work during the pandemic that you look tired. Like, you were on every day. You kind of carried the network, but you're a white dude, and you're getting older. That ain't a good combination, so you can note, you can unnote, you can re-note, and you can no-note. But that ain't going to help you, brah, because, frankly, you're extinct, or you're soon to be extinct. Mark my words on it. You won't get more than two mil, which is a great contract. Oh, my God, could you imagine? You got to sit around. Here's what you do when you're on those shows. You ready? Get there a little bit early. Okay. Couple meetings, informal. Sit around, get on the set, 10 minutes, talk for maybe 30 seconds. Commercial, 10, 15 minutes, talk for 30, eh, commercial. Then they say, hey, you got to be down over here, studio, whatever, for the car wash, they call it. Ah, you got to go out with Smith. First day, Okay. You sit there, they bring you on, five minutes. Then they say, well, you know, we got a sports center hit for you. Okay. Be about an hour. Okay. Go have a cup of coffee. Go do a sports center hit. What do you got next? Uh, Nothing till six. You go back to the Doubletree, catch a nap, have a nice margarita pizza there for lunch. Go back, have a little dinner at the cafeteria, wait for your sports center hit, maybe Van Pelt at night. Eh. And these guys act like it's a burden. $2 million to do that is stealing, and I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you at all, not even in the slightest, Ryan Clark. Good for you, but please, God, and I'm going to be on this because it's so full of crap. Please don't tell me that the African-American media guy has to be better. Man, they can show up 20 minutes late 10 different times. they got a big enough name, they still got a job. Stop it, stupid. Uh, Charles Barkley makes sense to me. Charles Barkley 1,000% makes sense to me. When Charles Barkley speaks, he just makes good sense. Now, I don't know what good sense is. I don't know what bad sense is. But my dad and my Maya, that makes good sense to me. Good sense. Okay. Well, here's the latest about the NBA. You have to be concerned. Everybody has to be concerned. Because the one thing you can't do is alienate your fans. Boy, is he right about that. That's the one thing you can't do, Barkley said, because the fans make everything go. They buy our products, they watch our sport, and once you piss them off, there is going to be repercussions. Ratings are way down. I'll get to that in a minute. When you have guys making 75, 80, 90, God forbid, 100 million a year to play basketball, and the guy says, you know what? I'm going to rest tonight. At some point, the fans are going to say, enough. I've had enough. You know, it is interesting. It is very interesting. I think people are getting to that point. Now, here in Indianapolis, we're kind of excited about the Pacers. We are. We're a little bit excited. Last year, you know how they say in Indiana, in 49 states, it's basketball, that kind of thing? Well, in Indiana last year, the, the, the attendance was about last. Now we're excited. So we've got a good, good attendance. Okay. All right. But the problem is people are just kind of like I've had enough. Now, back in December, ESPN and others, NBA.com, says that viewership, ESPN and ABC – Up 16% from last year. Well, that's good. That's really good. I have a hard time believing that. But look, that's the deal. That is the deal. Now, the ratings are somewhere between a women's basketball game and lacrosse. But hey, they're still up from last year and 16% is a significant number. But the bigger issue is the product. The bigger issue is this. Is it watchable? Do we care? When you got a guy that's making gee 60 million, I believe is what a guy named Jalen Brown is making, that none of you know who he is, except for of course the Knicks and Knicks, they know everything. But when that dude's making sixty million and he don't want to play 82 games, whoo doggy. Fans look at that and say, what in the Sam Hell are you doing? Now everything is reaction. LeBron James, at the height of load management, in the 11th game of the year, said, yeah, I'm going to sit out at the Pacers. Yeah, I'm tired. Load management. It's too much. Well, LeBron James has figured out that's a dumb statement. That's a dumb stance. So LeBron James has stopped that. But the truth of the matter is, whether you like LeBron James or not, He's just smarter than the rest of these clowns. I'll tell you the other thing, and this is a true story. And again, this is probably some kind of ist. But this is a true story. I turned on a game. I didn't really know. My TV came on. It was on ESPN. There was a basketball game. And I wasn't really paying attention. And I wonder if this has happened to anybody else. I looked up, and for, I don't know, a few seconds, I could not tell if it was a men's or a women's game. The hair. The hair, ladies and gentlemen. The hair. I might, huh. Indiana has a dude uh, who had 27 the other night. Literally looks like a chick. Like I look at him like, huh, dude. Girl? Guy? Boy. But I'm telling you the aesthetics of an NBA game. It's got nothing to do with black. It's got nothing to do with white. You know what it's got to do with? It's got to do with the pace. It's got to do with the play. Look, guys are making shots left and right. I mean to tell you, the basketball is so much better, but it's just a horrible product. It's just like, uh, I don't know. Now, the race baiting guys, the Ryan Clarks, the Stephen A. Smiths, are going to say, well, that's old white guy that doesn't understand. No, this is young old white guy that understands perfectly. Like, I've been watching this forever. And the product just isn't very good. And the teams just aren't very interesting. Let me ask you, Orlando's having a pretty good year. But are you cranking up the old TV to watch Pablo Banchero? Maybe you are. I don't think so. You know, Anthony Edwards seems to be an idiot. He couldn't get in the NCAA tournament as a player. He got his college coach, Tom Crean, fired. But he seems to talk all the time. And people are acting like he's the next Michael Jordan. Yeah, I don't think so. My point is, I know you're going to watch the Warriors. I know you're going to watch LeBron. I know you're going to watch the Boston Celtics, probably, although I don't know what's interesting about them. There just isn't anything interesting. And when NBA players talk, you kind of go, huh, all right, okay. And then, of course, Bobby Barak put it out there. For us white guys, every assault on the court has been African-Americans assaulting a white guy. Now, I understand you're mad at the Euros. I understand that, and that's part of the problem, too. The Euros. I don't know who these guys are. The only problem is they come in, and they're great, and we learn very quickly about Doncic Jokic. We learn very quickly about the Greek freak. Very, very quickly. But as we move into the draft, I actually looked at this yesterday. I had no idea who these clowns were at the top of the draft. In a mock draft, it was all foreign dudes. It was all foreign dudes, and I'm sitting there going, huh, that ain't great. That ain't great for the league. If I don't know who they are, let me ask you, Alexandre Star is the projected number one pick. He's French. He plays for the Perth Wildcats. Second pick, Nikola Topic. Nikola Topic is Serbian, so... He's my man. That's the number two pick. Zachari Richard, the French. The French are invading the hoops. That's the third pick. Matas Bazoulis. That's the fourth pick. He's a Lithuanian. And then there's some guy named Ron Holland. First American. Ron Holland. I'll close my eyes. Well, I didn't sleep well last night. If I close my eyes, I may not wake up. But you close your eyes and tell me where Ron Holland plays. Ron Holland plays in the G League Ignite. And then the other first college player is some dude named Cody Williams. Tell me where Cody Williams plays. I'll hang up and listen. No, not there. No, come on. I'll give you a hint. It's the same school that Deion Sanders coaches at. I also got to tell you, if the eighth pick in the draft is Reed Shepard, The draft sucks. Reed's a really good player, and I really like his dad. But he ain't the eighth player picked in the draft. Anyway, you get my point. (laughs) There isn't a single guy that I mentioned, and I can go on, because the next guy to be drafted is a dude from uh, Providence that I never heard of. So if you're going to go through all this, then you're not bringing anybody into the league that has any cachet. And if Reed Shepard is the fifth pick – My God, man. And I like Reed Shepard. I do. There isn't a single guy on here other than Reed Shepard and the big kid Klingon that I – well, let me go this route. In the top ten of the NBA draft, there is not a single player other than Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard at five and six that I can tell you anything about. And that ain't good. I mean – I guess the NBA could turn into a foreign league. But Barkley, he's never wrong. Barkley speaks with common sense. Barkley speaks with dignity. Barkley speaks with smarts, period. Hey, by the way, we're still waiting for Richard Sherman to announce that I assume he's getting a raise, more commercials, and Amazon is making its own primetime special about him due to his arrest for the third time for being a complete jackass. But remember... He went to Stanford. Uh, Rightfully so, Andy Reid will become the NFL's highest paid coach. Kansas City Chiefs are set to offer him a new contract. He's 65 years old. Listen to this. He is set for a $6.5 million a year raise. God bless you, Andy Reid. Are you having any fun? $6.5 million a year raise. Now I'm no math major, but if it was six million, that means he gets another half a million a year. A we, bleh, stop, a month. Wow, basically he's going to get an extra six hundred thousand a month. Why is anybody worth that? But I digress. If Jalen Brown is worth sixty million, then everybody's worth something. But good for Andy Reid. I'll tell you why good for Andy Reid. Andy Reid don't seem to cause no trouble. Andy Reid just does his little commercials. Now, not the greatest father, and I don't know if we're allowed to say that, or at least if you judge fathers by how their children end up, not allowed really to say that. But the truth of the matter is Andy Reid's a hell of a football coach that has established a hell of a culture, that has established a big-time winning culture, Culture. There's no problems with the Kansas City Chiefs. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time anybody had a hassle with a Kansas City Chief? I mean, I get it. They all got blacked out drunk during the parade, but so what? Young guys doing their thing. But Andy Reid has established something in Kansas City that very few places have a calmness with monumental success. There doesn't seem to be any drama. Now, I watch New Heights, which is Jason and Travis Kelsey's podcast, and I really like it. And I like Jason's wife, Kylie. And when I watch it, I listen to Travis Kelsey talk when he particularly talks about his team. Man, always complimentary of other dudes on the team. Always complimentary even of his coach that he screamed at like a complete idiot on the sideline during the Super Bowl. There just doesn't seem to be any drama. Like, you go to that guy, Mike McDaniel, Mike McDonald, Mike McDaniel, whatever the hell his name is over in Miami, it's always something. You know, he's got a dress with his little capri pants. He's got his MF things. He, you know what? And then they lose. And then everybody says what a great hire he is because he's diverse. And he's he, he, he just old school. I think Andy Reid kicking it old school is kind of cool. Kind of really cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just my thought. I mean, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. But you know what? I'm usually never wrong. There's no drama. Speaking of drama, you know, we are right now in a crisis. We are right now in an immigration crisis. People pouring in over the border. And it's funny to me when I say this. People actually, actually want to tell me I'm wrong. When you have more people coming in and over the border, unvetted, more people than are in some states, you got a serious problem. Where are they going? Where are they staying? Who are they living with? particularly young men of, well, frankly, war age. We are letting people in out of jail cells. And I say this, and I, I know it's true. I hope it isn't true, but I know it's true. What happened to Lake and Riley is coming to every town in America. You can argue with me. You can say it's not, but it is literally coming to every town in America america where are these guys gonna go where are they going you get across the border you're out of a jail in venezuela you're out of a jail in purdue the chinese have flown you over. Where where you going going to christian science reading room going to read the monitor going to go to church do a little praying maybe where are you going going to work for doordash like this killer did It's amazing to me how we're so afraid to say these things. It's astounding to me that nobody can figure out the common sense. This started for me years ago, two, three years ago. Dinner with a man named Paul Krebs. Lives in New Mexico, Albuquerque. He used to be the athletic director at New Mexico. Me, my wife, his son, and Paul went out to dinner. And I'm like, hey, man, this border's tough. He goes, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, we're a couple hours from the border, three, four hours. We got guys running through our neighborhood. Just running through. Where are they going? Don't know. What do you think they're going to do? Steal, rob, rape? Of course. Oh, my God, Doc, you're such a sexist, misogynist, whatever, racist. Okay, call me racist on this one, but what are they going to do? You're out of jail somewhere. You're released into a country. No, I guess that idiot Mayor uh, Adam is going to give you $10,000. You can buy some snacks, but what are you going to do? You're used to being a criminal, a lot of them. What are you going to do? Well, I tell you one thing we're doing in here. We are protecting, for some reason, killers. The Associated Press put out a thing. Fears of solo female athletes. That was their article about Lake and Riley. Instead of uh, illegal immigrant, lies in wait, kills beautiful woman on a run. I mean, we couldn't have that. And I don't know if you saw this, but we're so whacked out, the police report said the dude was white. Now, I'm white. He ain't white. But it's amazing. Nobody talks about the weak crime laws. Nobody talks about the fact that murderers, killers, rapists are going free. No one talks about that. We're so concerned about what exactly. That's my question. Guy breaks into a liquor store. Guy's a white dude. Guy's a black dude. He's running away. News in Indianapolis won't say black dude robs a liquor store or white dude robs a liquor store. How the hell are you supposed to catch him if you don't know what color he is? Oh, my God, you said color, Doc. It's your racist. Shut up. How are you? I'll hang up and listen. These are the simple questions that I ask. So instead of a discussion about illegal immigrants and what is absolutely going to happen here in your community, in my community, in every community maybe not Bismarck, North Dakota, It's too cold, but I guarantee you Bismarck, North Dakota, because it's on the Canadian border, has a problem there too. I'm just telling you, if you let people come in that are criminals unfettered, what do you think they're gonna do here? Every day, if you're on X, all you got to do is open up X and you'll see illegal immigrant beats woman, illegal immigrant and fights with cops, illegal immigrant. I mean, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's overstated. Look, I don't necessarily believe X to be the end all be all. I certainly don't believe the media to be the end all be all, but I do believe common sense and common sense says to me, you let a bunch of criminals in your country and you let them run wild. They're going to be criminals in this country. Son of a biscuit maker, are we that stupid? Are we that sensitive? And why does that offend you? And if it offends you, tough. Dems the berries, as my grandma used to say. So Mary Catherine Ham, who is brilliant, brilliant writer, and she works here at Outkick as well, her response to the Associated Press calling, listen to this, the illegal immigrant, a Athens resident. Now, just think about that for a second. They're so afraid to do what? What, you think Associated Press, the thugs are going to come burn down your place? You think Associated Press, someone's going to start a city on fire because you said that a dude didn't live in Athens and was an illegal immigrant? You think it's so compassionate uh, to say instead of an illegal immigrant murdering jackass, You say a Athens resident who Where's the compassion for Lake and Riley's family or is it all just you crazy ass left media are so busy protecting the crazy ass left media that you've totally lost your way in our society. I think that's it. I know that's it. Well, anyway, Mary Catherine ham. Hi, female athlete here. I ran this exact trail every single week of my college career. I guess I could, have snuff, I could have been snuffed out before I graduated, had a career family, and the professionals at the Associated Press would lie about the suspect because it fits a preferred narrative. Ibarra, who's the killer, is not merely an Athens resident. And and Riley and every other student was put in danger by not enforcing laws and allowing a man arrested three times after crossing the border to hang out and work on campus. He had to escalate to alleged murder to be held or risk deportation. Good policies, good work. Like, I don't get it. Hey, of the people, for the people. Isn't that what it's supposed to be around here? That ain't for the people. That's for a person coming in here illegally. And I'm telling you right now the same thing I told you yesterday do not DoorDash. That dude worked at DoorDash. I worked at DoorDash. I wouldn't order DoorDash or Uber Eats to save my life. I'm sitting there with a bunch of food on my ass, crazy. Next, but that sense of peace was shattered. After authorities on Thursday found the body of Lakin Hope Riley and arrested Athens resident Jose Antonio Ibarra on suspicion of murder, the victim and suspect did not know each other. University of Georgia Police Chief Jeff Clark called the killing a killing of opportunity. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? Instead of the Associated Press having a chance to come out. And be honest, number one, wasn't an Athens resident. I mean, if it was, it's parsing words. An undocumented immigrant, an illegal immigrant. We all know. But what is our problem? That's the bigger issue to me. What is the main? Are you afraid that the African-American or the illegal immigrant or the white group is going to get mad at you for calling a guy an illegal immigrant who, guess what, is a freaking illegal immigrant? Are you so afraid? Like, are you afraid of what? What? I don't get it. I honest and truly do not get it. I never will get it, and I'm glad I don't get it. I am. I'm glad I don't get it. I'm glad I'm not dumb enough to get it because that is evil. That is hurtful. That is not protecting the people of the United States. And every prosecutor that lets a criminal out, is not protecting the citizens. And you're elected, you prosecutors, and you're elected to protect. And every single guy bought off by George Soros or others is going to burn in hell for allowing people that they know are murderers out. They know are criminals out. For what? I don't want anybody uh, protesting. F that. It's amazing to me. Uh, I'm going to get to a little basketball now. Give me a chance to get a sip of caffeine. I didn't sleep good. I got the Jimmy legs. I do. I got the Jimmy legs. You know what the Jimmy legs are? Yeah, it jumps. I couldn't sleep. Didn't get no sleep last night. I got the Jimmy leg. All right. This will be considered racist. Juwan Howard sucks. Now, Juwan Howard really sucks. I was watching Juwan Howard coach the other day. I know he had a heart thing and we're all supposed to feel sorry for him. But I was watching him coach and I'm sitting there going, man, you know what? Not very good. And they were playing their brains out really hard against Purdue. Juwan Howard's basketball team, they're a dumpster fire. They're in last in the Big Ten. Ohio State, uh, maybe Ohio State, I don't know. Ohio State is pulling ahead of them. 84-79, 84-79, 80, to 79, eight wins all year. And Howard, I don't know if his days are numbered. I don't know if they're not. I just know I was watching him, and I'm thinking to myself, let me see here. You got in an altercation with a guy named John Sanderson because your son was a pain in the ass. You slapped a cheap shot, Joe Krabinoff, over the top. Because you can't control your temper. You lost your mind numerous times. And I'm all in on temper. I got no problem. But you can't win eight games and have a temper. You just can't. You just simply can't. You know, in Vermont, and I don't know. i never really been to Vermont except I've driven through it. It's very pretty, a lot of syrup. But the truth of the matter is, Vermont is one of the craziest liberal places on earth. There's a girls basketball team in Lamont or Vermont that was banned from playing in a state tournament because they forfeited a game because of a player that was transgender. Again, I go to this. If you would like me to solve the transgender woman athlete thing, it's very simple. If you are transitioning from a girl to a boy, you play with the boys. If you are transitioning from a boy to a girl, you play with the boys. Why is that hard? Why do we put girls in these situations? The coach at Mid-Vermont Christian School said this, I've got four daughters. I've coached them all at one point in their careers playing high school basketball. I've also filled in on the boys' team. When he can't make practice, I run those practices. Boys just play at a different speed, a different force than the girls play. Duh. Like, the best college team would not beat an eighth my eighth grade team. I don't know about your eighth grade team, but they wouldn't beat an eighth grade team. They just wouldn't. I don't have to tell you. There is a difference. And here's the deal. I get that we're all supposed to go, yay, transgender. Yay, gay. Yay, lesbian. I personally don't care who you stick your thing in or who you spread your legs for. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me, all the other stuff. But what I do care about is protecting women. Now, let me ask you a question. A guy that named Chris Goodwin, who is the coach at Mid-Vermont Christian, decides it's important to me to protect women. And he gets punished. Chris went on to say, after discussion with the administration and our players and parents, we decided that instead of going against our religious beliefs, There are differences between male and female. We are created differently. We decided to forfeit the game and withdraw from the tournament. At that point, the state of Vermont governing body kicked us out of all athletic competitions in the state. You know why, of course. Hate. The narrative is always the same. Nobody hates LGTV. Nobody hates transgender people unless they get in your space and do something to make you hate them. But the truth of the matter is that's just the rhetoric. Now, I don't know if the Vermont governing board really wanted to protect women, my answer is simple, very simple. Boy to girl, play with the boys. Girl to boy, play with the boys. Then there is no forfeiting. There's nothing. You know what there is? There's a bunch of dudes that wouldn't play because they couldn't play on a boys' team. There's a bunch of chicks trying to be dudes that couldn't play because they couldn't play on a boys' team. And that, you tell me, would be wrong. Why are girls always sacrificed? Why is it like, eh, they can go play with the girls so they can have some success? If there is no difference, as some of these idiots want to tell us, then play them with the boys. Doesn't that make sense? Well, you know, they just want to compete. They're like every other student. They just want to compete. Great. Make the boys' team. Well, they couldn't make the team. Well, wait a- Okay. Play CYO. Play something else. I don't know. Do whatever. But just go play on a boys team. I think, personally, that Chris Goodwin, the coach at Mid-Vermont Christian School, should be celebrated. He's protecting women. I mean, let me ask you a question. If everything was equal, everything, like nobody wants to admit there are physical differences between men and women. Let me ask you a question. Why did this illegal immigrant beat and kill the lady Lake and Riley so easily to the point where he disfigured her skull? I mean, if everything's the same, I mean, it wasn't like this guy was huge. Of course everything isn't the same. And it's not the same mentally either. Men have this thing where they can become animals, the hunter. Now, we don't want to say that, but you know what? Tough. Tough. John Etheridge wrote a book on it. It's really good. It's called Wild at Heart. That's what we are. It's tough. You don't like it? So what? It's freaking science. Women, some have that. I'm not saying nobody has that. Not every guy has that. But all of a sudden, we get angry. We get fierce. We get ferocious. We get protective. We get hunting. And that ain't good when you're playing against women. Chris Goodwin deserves to be a freaking hero in the state of Vermont. And every transitioning person right now in sports plays with the women. It's an easy fix. Let them play with the dudes. Let's see how it goes. All right, we come back. One of our favorites, Chris Mano, former NFL player. I got a lot to get to with him. I want to talk about the combine. I want to talk about whether quarterbacks should be throwing, not throwing, that kind of thing. Keep it right here. Also, Illinois fans, what? Brad Underwood's going to join us as well, your head coach. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, you know him, you love him. He is a former NFL player, current broadcast caster, and a man with a bunch of opinions that we like. That's why we like having him on. The great Chris Mano joins us. All right, I want to get into this. If you're the Bears and Caleb Williams says, I ain't throwing um, and maybe not even having a pro day. Some of these guys are talking about not even having a pro day. Is that a red flag? What does that do for you?
2: I think under normal circumstances, it might bother me a little bit, but obviously, as you know, in our game, uh, game film is king, right? He's got plenty of game film. I think there's probably been other things that might rub me a little more, a little more wrong about Caleb than this, because, look, I took a take on Marvin Harrison Jr. yesterday, and I'm kind of comfortable with Marvin not running because he's shown me everything I need to see in game over the last couple of years, right? Um, pertaining to Caleb Williams, I think I'd be a little more concerned with the fact that he's kind of given me the inclination. He might not want to be here. His camp's a little little loud. Uh, he's kind of mentioned a time or two. I heard a crazy rumor about wanting some sort of like stock in the team. I mean, there's other things that I think might worry me a little bit more than that, but I've seen Caleb Williams throw the football enough to know what he's capable of. And, um, if I liked him before, I don't think this is going to change too much about what I, you know, what I think about him going forward.
1: I'm totally, in, I'm totally in agreement with you. I, I think a lot of this is silly. I do. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, if you liked him on tape, I would interview him. You sit down, and you talk to him. It's like any other recruiting process. I want to know if, you know, if he fits. I want to know all the crazy rumors. I, I didn't like running up and crying with his mom. I didn't like, oh, I'm going to go hug my puppy. That doesn't do it for me. But, you know, I uh, also I want to talk to him, look him in the eye and see what's going on. That's more important to me than anything else. Yeah, I agree
2: with that. Uh, I, it's funny. I talked on my show yesterday about uh, the crying with the mom thing. I think it, I stress a little more about it if he's like a linebacker or something. As long as you aren't crying in game, it's that's you know, whatever to me, man. I, I lost my last college game. I was probably a mess, too. So uh, who the heck knows? Uh, as long as he can kind of remain calm, remain stoic, lead my team, I don't care too much about that. But, yeah, the interviews are going to be everything with him. Uh I feel good about what I've seen on film again. He was a Heisman runaway two years ago, and looked like he was like the leading candidate through much of the season this year. A little t- little trouble down the stretch, but I mean, I know he can do what I need him to do on the field. It's going to be to me more about sitting down and kind of getting to meet the man and see how you know how's he going to do. That's a that, there's no position like NFL quarterback. You need to be able to lead men. You need to be able to remain calm. You need to be able to dodge bullets. So. Yeah, I want to fire – I want to heat them up pretty good in that meeting room, though, and see what you know what's going on in between the ears.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, um, are you buying into Jaden uh, Daniels and uh, Drake May getting close? Somebody may take them ahead of Williams? Uh, ahead of Williams, I
2: don't think so. Um, you never know. This is the deal. If you think – or maybe you're a team that thinks all three of these guys could be franchise quarterbacks, and you trade down a pick or two saying – I don't really care if I get Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels or Caleb Williams or uh, Drake May. I think both of these guys can lead my franchise. You know, you could come away with a haul just to slide back one, one pick. So if I'm a team like the Bears that needs to fill multiple spots, I might say I, I feel okay about Jaden Daniels. It depends the gap between what I think Caleb Williams can bring my team and what two and three can bring my team. Because again, man, you, you come away with a real haul if you trade one to two or one to three. If you believe those other guys might be able to kind of do relatively the same thing as you think Caleb might be able to do.
1: You know, let me ask you, people talk about, well, if I think there's a big gap, what would be what would define the gap between Williams and let's just say Daniels? What the, the, the pro throws? I mean, what would be the gap? Well,
2: I think at the college level, I mean, at the, at the NFL level, most of these guys can physically do the same thing. I've had the luxury. I know it's been a tough week for them, so don't hold it against them. But I spent a lot of time with Russ Wilson when he first got into the league. I spent a lot of time with a guy like Tim Tebow. And granted there, I mean, Tim's NFL career as a quarterback didn't go like crazy, but like a kid, kids like that, you know, in two, three days, like oh, wow, these guys can lead men. These guys can get teams moving in the same direction. These guys can bring a group up, raise the whole, raise everything around the people around them. And uh, to me, in a quarterback, that's what I care about. I mean, I'll take a guy who, I mean, Tom Brady didn't blow me away physically, right? But he does these other things that I need my quarterback to be able to do. It's a point guard in, in basketball it's a catcher or something in baseball somebody who can just settle the waters make sure everybody's moving in the same direction don't get too high or too low be able to answer the right uh, the questions properly i care more about that if they're you know if they're reasonably close you get a michael vick who's just physically different you know you you might have to take that into account but i don't see any of these guys being like super, superhuman athletes where it's going to be more the mental the processing on the whiteboard, stuff like that. What do I get a feel like when I leave that meeting? Oh, this this guy, he walked into the room and something is different about him. I'm looking for that in a quarterback.
1: Um, I am from an era, because I'm old, at 61 years old, I am from an era where running backs mattered. O.J. Simpson, you know, I know what happened later, but man, Walter Payton's the best football player I ever saw. Hell, I remember, you know, guys with the Packers when they played the Bears, John Brockington, uh, Chuck Foreman. Running backs were special back then. Now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wait, we got Henry, we got Barkley, we got Jacobs, we got Eckler, we got Pollard. We got a lot of running backs out there. We just went through it here in Indy with Jonathan Taylor. What's the value of this? What What are we doing here with running backs moving forward? What do you think is going to happen?
2: Well, I think the running backs together need, if they want to change this, they need to come together and, and they got you know, to be a united group and they got to do something because you're seeing it and you just said it their value is falling by the year and it's not stopping. Um, I think what they should hope to do is try to get some form of a, a like Swiss army knife type player recognized in order, like a, like a Cordero Patterson, you got to be able to make yourself um, more valuable. And these guys haven't been able to do it. And when you're watching teams like the chiefs win chip after chip with a guy they plugged in in the seventh round from Rutgers who just runs like he's angry at the world, He's not making the case for these one, two, three overall picks to, or these high-profile backs. Like, why? Why must I pay you? I mean, obviously, CMC is the outlier. I think you make yourself more, ver- I mean, more valuable if you could do multiple things. The way the game is today, I mean, I think I like a Barkley, I like an Eckler because they're able to kind of split out in the backfield. They present a different challenge to defenses than maybe a Derrick Henry does. But um, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure, man. As long as guys who are coming in those second and third days of the draft or being plugged in and being successful. Uh, it doesn't make a strong case for these, you know, high value running backs to be paid a, a fortune.
1: You know, what, one of the interesting things is some of guys that have been drafted early, like Travis Etienne pretty good. They, they do make a difference. If you were an NFL and I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking out like quarterback. Okay. If you're an NFL GM, and you're going to start a team. What Take out quarterback. What position are okay. you going with? Uh, this one's not going to go over
2: well. See, the receiver in me wants to say some sort of sexy playmaker, but the more I watch – I mean, I'm a, look, I'm a New York kid, and I love the Chiefs, obviously. I watched the Chiefs suffer, suffer exponentially in the Super Bowl against the Bucs because their line was shot. I watched the Jets this year. It didn't matter who you put back there. Zach Wilson, Zach Morris, it doesn't matter. That person was getting killed. It could have been Aaron Rodgers. So I, I hate to say it, but I think if there's a real uh, – a, a true franchise tackle that I believe in, he's got to be the right one, though, because that's a big ask. If I have a true franchise tackle and I can't take a quarterback, I think it be- begins and ends in the trenches. Look on both sides of the field. If you've got guys who can rush the passer and guys who can protect the quarterback – I really do, and I know not not probably not the sexy pick, but I think the line is just so essential.
1: You know, one of the things that has come up in the NFL, and I'm curious. You were a receiver. I'm curious your thought on this. The tight end. I was watching uh, Kelsey's the show they they have yesterday, and it was one of those deals where he was saying, you know, you, you, you used to be. We didn't really we were blockers, and but now, particularly, I'm, I'm thinking about my Colts here with a young quarterback. It feels like a tight end is just imperative. You gotta have.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, what a lot of them do for these young quarterbacks is they act as security blankets. And by the way, I love your young quarterback in Indy. So I think a lot of people forget about him because he was banged up last year. He's awesome, and he's going to be awesome. So, so enjoy having him. Uh, but back to the tight ends, yeah. These guys present a sense of security for for these young quarterbacks. They're a check down. They're that option route where you know if I'm getting heated up right away, I got to get the ball out right now. This guy's only eight yards down the field. I don't have to wait for him to get to a certain spot 25 yards down. So that internal clock in my head is going off, and I say, I better get the football out now. I know Travis is going to be right here. Just throw it in that direction. And if you have that luxury as a young quarterback – I know I got a crossing route. I know I got a guy running to the flat. I know I got an intermediate route at 10 yards. These guys are going to be there quickly and be in the right spot. And if you can develop that chemistry and that sense of security with him for a young quarterback, it becomes huge.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting you on that. Well, I am putting you on the spot. Have you seen enough of this Bowers kid at Georgia to think he's a difference maker in the NFL? Yeah,
2: he's nasty, man. He's nasty. He's, he's real, real good. That's um, who I want the yeah. Colts to draft. Yeah, he's real real good and if I'm looking for any sort he's a playmaker. Yeah, he he can he can bring it, man. He's fast, he's strong, he's physical. Uh he goes up and gets the football, catches, he'll pluck it out of the air with his hands. He's good yards after the catch. He's as good a complete, you know, pass catching tight end as I've seen come out. I I think he's probably I mean, Kyle Pitts is I guess the guy we thought was going to be that guy. I think he's going to get picked real early and I think he's going to probably put up those numbers we expected Pitts to put up when he came out. And yeah, if you can be a young quarterback and be, obviously he's going to take his lumps as a, as a young pup too, but once he finds his stride and if you can get a young quarterback and him to kind of build a rapport, you've seen it work with the chiefs, get that little foundation and let them grow together. And sky's the limit with uh, the way the game is built today for offenses to thrive.
1: Yeah. I mean, it used to be get a running back with a quarterback wide receiver, but now I'm thinking to myself, man, these freaking tight ends are wow! Right. All right, let me go back to quarterback. You know, every year it seems like we talk about this is a great quarterback draft. I don't know. Um, is there a guy that well, like like all of a sudden JJ McCarthy? I'm I'm seeing you know he's going to throw and people are now excited about him. And is there a guy mm-hmm. that you can see like a McCarthy that could end up being as good, Brock Purdy kind of thing? Well, look. Uh- the, the McCarthy thing is interesting. He is only 20 years
2: old, and I get it. He doesn't really light up the game film like, like some of these other guys do. But here's what I want in a quarterback these days. And, look, you heard Cam Newton say it on his podcast and get flamed for it, is I just – I mean, I'm comfortable with a guy who can be a, quote, unquote, game manager. It's just, look, make the right play, make your reads, deliver the ball in time, get it into the hands of your playmakers, and don't make big mistakes – and I'm comfortable with it, man. I don't need a guy who can, you know, who's, who's running all around, extending plays. It's, it's a beautiful thing to have, but not, I, we've seen that teams can go a long way with a guy who just does the right thing, makes the right play, doesn't turn the football over. And, yeah, McCarthy's young. He's won at a high level. He's been mentored by a guy who we know, you know, can pump out some NFL quarterbacks in Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I think he's going to be okay, man. I, I like that he's young. He's won football games. Yeah, I, th- I think he's, he's going to have a nice future.
1: Yeah, I just, I'm always fascinated by people, you know, that all of a sudden here they come. All right, last thing uh, before I let you go. You were with Kansas City. Why is Kansas City, I was just talking about this with Andy Reid, there's like no okay. drama. I know they got hammered at the Super Bowl parade. Okay, so what? Why is there no right. drama with Andy Reid and the Chiefs? Well, he's he's so respected, right? You
2: see that there's only a handful of these guys left, right? A lot of these teams go with the young coordinator who's hip and cool, and he's almost like a peer to these guys rather than uh, a you know a, a strong um, figure in in the room. You know, like these young guys. A lot of these coaches are 35 years old, and they've got linemen who are 36, 37 years old. It kind of it's it's hard to really put the hammer down on guys. Andy Reed's record at this point speaks for itself. There was always minimal drama coming out of uh, Patriots camp, too, because they've got a guy who's been there and his record speaks for itself. Um, and look, at the end of the day, you know, sports, man, winning breeds a good culture, right? If they come out next year and they're two and nine, I mean, you may hear some peeps come out of that locker room. But right now it's a harmonious environment in there. They're winning. They got Andy Reid at the helm. They got the young stud and Patty Mahomes. And that's another thing, man, when you've got leadership who's, drama free it tends to permeate the rest of the group right i mean i've coached teams like that when when my leaders are pains in the ass it's 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 hard for me to get the rest of the group going but when i can dig into my leaders and coach them hard and and they fall in line it kind of makes everything easier to get to get the rest of the room you know moving in the right direction
1: boy i agree with that hey chris great stuff man i appreciate you thank you uh same
2: deal man i appreciate y'all having me keep up the great work then
1: All right, that's Chris Mano. He comes on and he kills it every single time. Uh, we got some college basketball to talk about here in the second hour. I'm going to give you my top five teams and the great Brad Underwood, the head coach at Illinois. You know the show motto, I rarely run, but when I do, you know where it is. We'll be right back. That's it. i got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome back. A little college hoops this hour. College hoops, they're heating up. You know what? I didn't do a college hoops uh, outkick minute yesterday because, frankly, I don't think the games were very good. And then the games ended up being okay. Miami and North Carolina. There are some teams, I don't know about you guys, but there are just some teams that I just can't watch, period. Anyway, let's get to college hoops. Look. Uh, My top five college basketball teams, until further notice, they're pretty much the same, but I did slip a quick one in there on you. It's top five Tuesday, top five college basketball teams. Number five, the Tennessee Vols. Now, look, I'm going to say this every time Tennessee wins. It doesn't matter. Rick Barnes in Tennessee and Rick Barnes, wherever he's been, has been very, very good. However, like Purdue, who lost to a 16 seed, the regular season matters only to get a good seed in the tournament. I know Dylan is nodding his head when I say this. It don't mean squat what Tennessee does during the regular season. Because all anybody wants to talk about with Rick Barnes is what? Uh, post-season failures. Look, I get it, It's the same with Purdue. You know, actually, if you look at it, and this is probably a little bit weird, and I'm only talking about fans here, not necessarily players and coaches, but Florida Atlantic, the team that went to the NCAA tournament, or NCAA Final Four last year, is kind of in the same boat. But here's where it changes a little bit, maybe for Rick Barnes. You know, the SEC is considered a great league. And you know who's on top of the SEC right now because of the beatdown Alabama took at Kentucky? The Tennessee Volunteers. They've won four in a row. Now, they got Auburn at home. Listen to this they got Auburn at home. They got a brutal stretch. Auburn at home, at Alabama, at South Carolina, and then Kentucky at the crib. Brutal. So we're going to find out the four teams they beat, Arkansas, who stinks, Vanderbilt, who stinks, Missouri, who stinks, and they won at home by 35 against Texas A&M. They're playing great. But even if they lose out, it doesn't matter because this is one of those teams that the postseason is it in terms of the fans. However, for the players and the coaches, we're in first place. We got a chance to win the league. League means rings. You know what I'm saying? All time, there's your picture. You bring your kids. Hey, there's dad. That kind of – it's great. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It is. But Rick Barnes, he is the guy, along with Matt Painter, that it does not matter to the fans what you do until we get into the NCAA tournament, and it's so unfair. It's so ridiculous. It's like Ohio State. Ohio State could have lost to Michigan, but if they'd have gotten in the Final Four, if they'd have won, you know, I mean, the whole thing changes. But that's all right. We ain't mad about it. We're just telling you how the cookie crumbles. And for Rick Barnes, the cookie crumbles by winning in the postseason, period. That's it. That's it. Don't want to hear about it. It's over. Nothing. Nothing else. Nothing. Uh, number four, and maybe this is a homer call. I don't know. What the hell do I know? But I got to tell you, Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles. Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles uh, got their ass whooped a week or so ago. And I started watching, and I started going, wait a second. Marquette's pretty good. No, wait. No, no, no. Marquette's really good. No, wait. Marquette plays at a pace that is tremendous. UConn whooped them. So what'd they do? They came back and whooped a paw. They came back and whooped, I mean absolutely whooped, uh, Xavier. Now, they got a kid on their team. And I think you got to have a star. They got a kid on their team named Cam Jones. All right, Cam Jones. I want you to listen to this. Has scored thirty plus points. Let me make sure I have this right. Let me make sure I got this absolutely right, so people know that I'm talking, not talking out of my dupaiash. He has scored thirty four points the last two games, both games, thirty four against DePaul, Paul. 34 against Xavier. What's important about that? Well, what's important about that is he's not their best player. Tyler Kolick is their best player, the point guard. But you got a guy that can go for 30-plus. Ooh, baby. That's big time when it comes to the NCAA tournament. That's big time when it comes down to, man, a lot of pressure late. We can't get a shot. Who's going to go get us a shot? Well, guess who's going to go get you a shot? Cam Jones. And chances are he's going to make The shot. I am in love with Marquette. Yes, I know they got whooped two weeks ago, but I am in love. These next three teams have separated themselves. They have. And again, I said this last week, but I don't care whether you put Purdue, Houston, or UConn number one, number two, number three. It doesn't really matter. They've all separated themselves. Let me talk about UConn first at number three. The Klingon kid, the big kid, is the kid that I just said is the first or one of the first guys going in the NBA draft that we've actually heard of. It's interesting. All these foreign kids. This is a big kid. This is 7'2". Here's what's fascinating about it. Relative to the NBA, this kid, Klingon, is considered better than Zach Eady. Now, Zach Eadie is one of the most dominant big men in the history of college basketball. He just is. And it was announced the other day that he's not coming back to Purdue, but I'll get into that when I get to Purdue. But I want you to think about the NBA and I want you to think about potential. The NBA goes by what you can be. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a second here. This Klingland kid, who is 7'2", doesn't even lead his team in rebounding. He literally, lit- literally, Plays 21 minutes a game, he gets 12 points and six and a half rebounds in those 21 minutes. The kid Newton, the point guard, actually leads him in rebounding at seven and a half. Now, Klingland's been hurt, but boy is he important. I mean, I want you to think about this, and I'm going to get the Purdue in a second. But as you go into the NCAA tournament, everybody says matchups matter. Everybody says style matters against whom you're playing. I would argue they're right, but I would also argue you better make shots. Making shots is the great elixir to style or whatever. Now, but let me go to style. So you got this kid, Klingman at UConn who can match up with Edie damn near size-wise. Now, Edie's a couple inches taller, maybe a little broader right now, but you can match up with him. When you watch Purdue – Watch how many times it's just futile trying to go up against Edie either around the basket, just off the lane. It's just futile. Offensive boards. There isn't a style of play that Danny Hurley's team can't play. Pretty good. Uh, Number two, Purdue. Again, it doesn't matter which you know Purdue or UConn or Houston. It doesn't matter. But a, a word about Purdue. I'm watching Purdue the other day, and I'm watching them against Michigan. And I knew the outcome of the game. Look, I knew Purdue was going to win that game. I'm waiting for Purdue to go on a spurt to put them away. It never really came. It was grind. It was grind. It was old school Big Ten. And I thought to myself, interesting. Interesting on Purdue. Why? Who is going to or are they able to put a team away? Get out to a big lead. Not make it. An enema at the end of the game where you're, I call it grunting one out. Uh, uh, uh. Yes, they have a premier point guard in Braden Smith who's averaging 12, five and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists, shooting 46%. Yes, but let me ask you this the three point shooting. The three point shooting is interesting. Not just three point shooting when you need a mate. No, I'm not talking about that. I am not talking about that at all. I'm talking about when we want to take a six-point lead and make it 12 in the middle of the second half of an NCAA tournament game. When we're trying to do that, huh, what's going to happen? Did you know that Fletcher Lawyer, who's their starting off-guard, terrific shooter, has not scored in double digits since the 4th? I'm going to say it again. The 4th of February? Uh, no, I'm lying. Yes, the 4th of February. That's one, two, three, four, five games. Hasn't scored in double figures. In fact, in seven of the last nine games, he hasn't scored in double figures. And when he scored in double figures, it was 12. Listen to this shooting. Here's the last five games. One for five, one for seven, two for 12 from three. Telling you right now, I'm seeing it. That's bad business. Purdue has not lost in the NCAA tournament because they've been out-coached. Purdue has not lost in the NCAA tournament because they don't have good players. They've lost in the NCAA tournament because they haven't been able to make shots, and the other team has. Pay attention to that as you move forward. That's why I say Mason Gillis, top of the key three, is really important to Purdue. Really, corner three, really important. I keep saying Mason Gillis is the guy for Purdue. I don't know whether he is or not, but I think he is. And if I'm looking at Purdue, I'm saying to myself, hold the phone here. Hold the phone. You've got to be able to separate. Why? Because in the NCAA tournament, when you're playing a lower seed, guess what? The pressure goes on the one seed, and Purdue's going to be a one seed. And that 8-9 game, those teams are usually pretty good. Uh, number one team in the country, it took a last-second shot to get a win, but I don't care. I think I'm over my, my – I'll never be over my hate for what Samson did to Indiana's basketball program, but I think I'm going to be objective now relative to Calvin Sampson and college basketball. Now, if you put the cheat in the Hall of Fame, you're just idiots, but that's okay. I mean, I'm used to that. But here's the deal with Houston. I said this last week. I'll say it again. They can play a lot of different ways. They can. I mean, people think that they're a one-dimensional, tough-ass team. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I think because of this point guard shed, he gets other shots. He's the toughest guy down the stretch. He's an absolute freaking crazy leader. Crazy leader. I mean, nuts leader. Like the best leader in college basketball. And I'm not sure it's close. They went to Baylor. They survived in overtime. Guess who made the big shot? I don't know. Uh, Shed? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Guess who gave the big lead? Shed. Shed didn't shoot a good one for five. And the question's going to be the same question, exact same question that I have for Purdue. It's great that you're grinding out. It's great that you're tough. But you can't let six times, if you want to win a national championship, the other team hang right around you few of those games you got to open it up whether it's your defense that can open it up and that's exactly what uh Houston can or shooting opens it up and I'm not sure that's what between shed crier and sharp they've got three guys shoot it pretty good but they got to shoot it pretty good NCAA tournament man oh man it is about making shots period Period. I go back to Purdue a few years ago. I think Sasha Stefanovic, who was their best shooter, missed a couple switches or missed a ball screen. At and Painter took him out. You can't take out your shooters in a tournament. You can talk to them. You, dis- you can scream at them. You can go nuts on them. But you can't take out your shooters. You got to have the guys that can shoot it. I don't care what anybody says. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter. There's your top five. Houston, number one. Purdue, number two. UConn, number three. Marquette, number four. Tennessee, number five. Arizona's going to be in there. They are. Disappointed Michigan State. I'm used to Michigan State coming on. Michigan State's lost a couple in a row at home. Iowa got them. And then Ohio State got them. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. All right. It almost seems like we should do this once a week. The crazy African-American woman named Joy Reid. Joy Reid goes on a clinically insane rant about having children. The United States, she says, has a population of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids? Let's hear from the deranged one right now.
3: The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids? I mean, your party, Senator Tupperville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. And you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, this is some sort of crisis because we we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids. Can you explain who's the we and what's the purpose? You're also a senator from the state of Alabama. God help the people there. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state and the mandate of the planter class in Alabama was for black women to produce more kids because those kids were property and they could work more kids and make more money on their plantations. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids because you think that those populations will include people who are maybe destitute and desperate enough if you kick out the immigrants like a lot of y'all want to do and you could make them do the work that the migrants are doing now? Because that kind of sounds slavery-ish. Is the state of Alabama the we? And is, is, is that the why? I mean, you're also a white guy. Are you saying the we is white folks need more kids? Is this like a great replacement thing where you're concerned that there's not enough white people in the population versus the growth of the Latino population, the black population, and the Asian American population? And so the we is white people need to make white women have more kids. And that's the we and that's the why, because. It's a little creepy, a little handmaid's
1: taley, don't you think? That's crazy person. Well, if 10 million immigrants are coming in undocumented, you're seeing the surge in crime right now, you dumb racist. Joey Reed. I mean, look, yeah, of course we need more kids. We got to keep the population going. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somehow, some way, aliens will come down and populate our country. And what a stretch. See, when you give dumbass racists a platform, they're always going to be dumbass racists. You're comparing 10 million people coming across the border illegally with moms and dads having children? Why do we need more kids? I don't know. Makes your life more fulfilling. I don't know. It sustains population in a country. I don't know. But it's not the same as 10 million illegal immigrants coming in. It's not the same as Venezuela, Purdue, China, opening up jails and sending military-aged men into our country. Good for you, Joy Reid. God bless you. You literally went from, hey, a guy saying we need more kids to making it all about race. And I guarantee you some of the brothers, some of your people are like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm starting to think we shouldn't have women on TV. Between Joy Reid and The View, I don't know. Only hot women. Only young, hot women should be out No, don't say that. Don't put that out. That'll get me in more trouble. I get people mad at me when I talk about women and how horrible they are as announcers, except for a few. So don't put that out there. But my God. All right. Is that right? No kidding. Wow. All right. There you go. Uh, God dang. It just, it's just, it never stops. Is that right? We're going to have racism? We, got, we want them to do the job. Hey, I don't know, man. I just know that we need more kids. Period. And we need less angry liberals. That'd be a good world. Less angry liberals and more kids. Now that's what I'm talking about. That's the deal. That is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, can you imagine coming home to that? Wow. Wow. Anyway, good for Joy Reid, bad for us. We don't need more kids because more kids is somehow racist. Climate change is racist. Exercise is racist. Sleeping is racist. The sun is racist. The moon is racist. My fat ass is uh, not racist. I will never admit to that because I'm not. But she is unhinged. She is unhinged. Oh, look at this, Mike Florio. I, I, look, Mike Florio of NBC Sports took time out of his day to bash all Republicans and Jets owner, Woody, Woody Johnson, for backing Trump after his victory. It's interesting that Johnson is talking about Trump now. I love, that's the, that's the Jay Williams. It's interesting. I'm not going to give an opinion, but it's interesting, which means I'm trying to slant you a certain way. Asked about his support of the former president, Johnson said if we could stick to football questions, that would be great. Yeah. I mean, if I'm doing a press conference, I'm doing a football press conference. If I'm at the press conference as the owner of the Jets, and that's how it goes for folks of a certain ideology. They have no problem with talking about something other than football when they have something they want to say or when someone is saying something they want to hear. Yeah, of course, everybody's that way. You want to talk about something I want to say? I'm interested. You want to talk about something that I'm interested in? I'm interested in. You want to talk about something I don't want to talk about? I don't want to talk about it. Nobody has an obligation to talk to Mike Florio, Mike Tarico, Mike Freeman, Mike whomever. Nobody has that obligation. Nobody. I, you ask me a question, doesn't mean I got to answer. I say that all the time. It's part of my daily vernacular. Just because you ask me something doesn't mean I have to answer. Doesn't mean I want to answer. If I want to answer, I'll answer. If I don't want to answer, I won't answer. If it's some interest, something I'm interested, yeah. If it's something that's potentially going to get me in trouble, I ain't answering. Why is that so hard? Explain to me. I'll hang up and listen. Why is it so hard for any idiot like Florio to understand that, look, if I don't want to answer a question, I ain't answering it. If it doesn't interest me, I ain't answering it. You want to rip me, rip me. But you're Mike Florio. Nobody cares. Uh, Of course, our friend, our boss, our mentor, Clay, well, he has something to say about it. Sigh. No one other than left-wingers like you care about politicians. Oh, I'm sorry. Sigh. Sigh. No one other than far left, ca- left wingers like you care which politicians, players, coaches, or owners support in their private lives. If the Jets owner brings Trump to midfield at halftime and says every Jet fan for vote for him, most sports fans would reject it. This isn't hard. It's very easy. I knew when I saw Woody Johnson up there, you're like, all right, who's going to whine? Well, there's going to be an activist, yo. There's got to be an activist that's going to whine. Florio's perfect. Media is going to whine because the media is all far left. We know this. We absolutely know this. Hey, our imbecile in chief is back at it. I love our imbecile in chief. He's the worst. He is literally the kind of guy you just want to punch in the face. Our imbecile in chief. Uh, here's the deal. Listen to this. He wants to get this quote right. Hang on, caller. I got to. I got to hear this. He wants to get a quote right, and then he screws the pooch like only my man, the imbecile-in-chief, can screw it up. Let's hear from Captain Crazy. And, you know, uh, stand here in front of this portrait,
4: of the man behind me here, he, uh, he said, and I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right, he said, we, the better angel, he said, we must address the council of, And just the better angels of our nature, and we do and we do well to remember what else he said. He said we're not enemies, but we're friends. It's the middle. It's the in the part of the
1: civil war. He said we're not enemies, but we're friends. We must not be enemies. It's a simple quote. Why you got to be screwing it up? Why you got to be screwing it up? I mean, you guys voted for that, and you'll probably vote again. Man, we have the dumbest human being or the lyingest human being or the most corrupt human being we've ever had in public office standing right there, and he's got dementia, and he can't speak, and he can't even read off a prompt. That, Clay Travis, that ain't hard. You got a thing right here, you read it. Seems pretty simple to me. Hey, Jay Billis, I asked yesterday on the show, how do we stop court storming? Jay Billis wants folks arrested. Let's listen to Jay
4: not a good idea to try to stop the court storming, that that could cause more problems than it would solve. But you don't have to stop the court storming. One time, all you have to do is once they're on the court, don't let them off. Just just say you're all detained and give them all citations or arrest them if you want to. And then court stormings will stop the next day. Um, There's no accountability for this. The fans feel like it's an entitlement and the universities like it. And the truth is we like it.
1: Well, there's no question about that. There's
4: no question that
1: we like it. I like it, even though I've been well-documented that it cost me a career, but I don't know if Jay's serious on this one or not. I think he is somewhat facetiously overstating the what is overstated. Like If you really look at it, Duke's player goes out of his way to shove some kid. Kid's just running on the court. Maybe he's yelling at him, but Duke's player, he's going to shove some little kid. All right. And he tweaks his ankle. I said earlier today, as we wait for the white smoke to come billowing out of uh, the NCAA offices, as we wait and wait to see a dookie tweaked his ankle in a court storming, now we must arrest those that stormed. I, I think you give them all, truthfully, if you're Louisville. I think if you're Louisville and Filipowski doesn't play... Send all the students pizzas. You got Papa John's there. Send them all some Papa John's. What are you, crazy? What's wrong with you? Send them all Papa John's and thank you. Court storm again against anybody that we play next. Hope you hurt their big guy. Nah, I don't want them to hurt their big guy. But the big guy went out of their way, and everybody is so afraid to say this. I'm looking at all these guys, including Wake Forest. Well, it's inexcusable, blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, how about the big seven-footer don't shove a little kid? How about that? I mean, and if you're going to shove a little kid, how about you keep your balance, keep your feet spread, your knees bent, your ass down, and then do some shoving? I mean, it is boxing. Son of a biscuit maker. Can we just freaking all get along? In the words of the great Rodney King, can we all just get along? A Duke player tweaked an ankle. Oh, my God. Arrest everybody. Arrest them. I'm with you. Cashman, speaking in the third person, says, in Cashman's opinion, the court is for players, the stands are for fans. Cashman does not go behind the counter at the bank, a restaurant, or any other business. Cashman doesn't think fans belong on the field. I'm with you. I am. And maybe mine's just a little bit personal. You know what I mean? Because I did lose my career about it, and nobody cared. To this day, nobody cares. Hey, Dawkins, why did you get in the tournament? I don't know, because I suck. How's that? Nothing to do with my best players getting hurt. So maybe I'm taking this a little too personal. I don't know. I'm going to ask Brad Brad Underwood about his thoughts on court storming, but I'll tell you mine. I ain't arresting nobody. Nobody. I'm not giving citations. I'm not arresting. I'm not giving a two-minute time frame. Look, students, let the other team get off the court. It's emotional. You run onto the court. Because you're emotional, and you're also a maniac, and you want to get good footage for your social media account. I get it. The great Brad Underwood, Illinois coach, next. Stay right here. Where you going? Where you going? What are you doing? Stay here. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, even when I was doing Big Ten games, I always said, you know, shut up. I'll root for who I want to root for. I mean, people, well, you're not supposed to root for anybody. I'll oh, shut up. You know, I'll root for who the hell I want to root for, and I root for Brad Underwood. I do. I remember seeing I you coach, that. coaching in uh, Hutch, a long time ago, and I remember going, yeah, I'm rooting for that guy. So, you I know what? That. Kiss my ass, people. I
4: root for Brad Underwood. <laughs> How you doing, coach? I'm doing great, man. I, I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's almost March. It's, uh, it's basketball season. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the blessed ones. we got a great job and, and uh, get to do what we do every day. So, shoot, it's all good. All right.
1: I got two questions for you. Neither are great. How are you handling this thing with Shannon? How, how, you know, Shannon had a problem back in Canada. How are you handling this? What have you, what, how did you acclimate him back to the team, that type thing?
4: Um, one, it, it's, it doesn't have, I'm a basketball coach and, and I've always taken the approach, whether it be an injury, whether it be a sickness, whether it be, um, whatever the case a suspension, whatever it is, uh, I'm going to coach the guys that show up at practice every day. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound, um, insensitive, but I don't. I can't concern myself with the other stuff, and we have a great group. I knew we were gonna be a really good basketball team uh with him or without it and 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 once that happened and you know supported him a lot personally um and and but you know every single day just tried to get our guys better now bringing him back was the thing I was the most concerned about um you know we we had the number two offense inefficiency efficiency with him out uh and and you know when TJ came back he's a guy we don't run a lot to so it didn't truly impact us um as much leaving but coming back he tried not to screw it up i mean he he was he was very passive very i mean he was he was deferring to teammates and this was his team and i mean he was playing great but he tried so hard to, to not mess anybody up. And, and, and I knew that that piece would take uh, some time. You just don't miss a, you don't miss five weeks and six weeks, whatever it was, and, and, and not be out of sync and out of sorts. And, and, and you don't bring a guy like that back and not be out of sorts a little bit. But uh, he handled it great. Um, I was pay- very patient. Um, all I tried to get him to do was guard, uh, and run and not overthink things. And, um, you know, we didn't start him the first game and I started in the second game and, um, we've not made a big deal about it. He's been a, he's an unbelievable teammate. Um, so most of that credit goes to him, but there's a, there's a ton of, uh, a a ton of patience involved in, in terms of trying to not force things. You ever
1: been involved in anything like that where an injunction, you know, a lot of times Never. coaches it's the other way. Somebody's mad at you, right? They're they're, they're going to go to court over you kicking them off or you You ever been in a situation like that before?
4: No. No, first time. When, when I just when back, I just said that. I just, you know, again that's that 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 one was so far above me and like I said I I didn't Yeah. I didn't worry about any of that. I just all I tried to do was just be a, as good a coach to the guys that were there every day and 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 support them in whatever way was was needed. I'm
1: going to get to the positive here in a minute, okay? And one of the positives yeah. is this: you got beat at Penn State on a late foul. So I asked Derek Brunson the other night. I go, "Oh man, coach, crazy, right?" He goes, "No, nope." He just got a veteran group, said, let's just move along. And you played really well against Iowa. Late in the season, for people that don't understand, coaches coach different late in the season, particularly with a veteran team, than they do early in the season, correct?
4: Oh, no doubt. Dan, and and you know this being a coach. My group knew, and and I say this all the time, I use this in a a, – Probably too much. The basketball gods will always get give, give you what you deserve. <laughs> yes. We deserve to get our butt kicked. And Coleman Hawkins deserved you know I'm not not signaling him out and and we deserved what we got in that game. Our approach stunk and and is that my fault? Yes, ultimately it is. Um, but you can't you know and, and Coleman and I had conversations and I had conversations afterwards with three or four players. I didn't need to sit there and go through that film and say, we did this, 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 and this. Every one of our guys knew. And, and Coleman and I had a conversation and he turns around and plays one of the best games of his career in the next game. And so it was, it was very different. A year ago with my team, I would have gone through that because we were super young and everything was a learning experience. This group was, was, you know, Terrence Shannon knew he shouldn't have dribbled against the press. Luke Goody knew he shouldn't have took the 3 with 2 minutes to go and 26 on the shot clock. You know, it and we knew, we just we were out of we were out of sorts and it was unusual. So we we still haven't talked about it. And we never showed one second of film. I grayed out every game. We didn't even show them their grades. We just moved on. And we didn't even talk about Iowa the next day. The next day was about you know it was one of my one of my favorite practices we just we didn't we didn't work one second on offense it was about getting back to some principles we got back up five times uh it was just 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 do what we do and it was about us not not about not about Penn State or Iowa
1: Well, Hawkins jumped back nine for eleven from the field nine for eleven from the free throw line ended up. With 30, that's kind of what I look at, Coach, and you can tell me I'm wrong. Like I said the other day, Purdue, Purdue got a good loss. I know nobody wants to lose, but Purdue got a good loss uh, at Ohio State. I don't know if there's any such thing as a good loss. I, I didn't think that as a coach. I think it now as a fan, you know, or a media guy or whatever the hell I am. But I, I'm not so sure that maybe you didn't get a good
4: loss here. Well, there's, there's, two, ways to, there's two ways to handle failure or a loss or, or, you know, and, and that's, that's, you either learn from it or, or you accept it. And, and, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, or you can, you know, you wallow in your self pity and you, 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 and then one becomes two and, you know, so there are some positives for a loss. Um, You know, like I said, you hate them because we're all competitive and we're trying to win every night and we're trying to play the perfect game. And. And yet, um, you know, if you don't grow from it, then shame on you, and shame on me as a coach. And and you know, Coleman Coleman did something that hasn't been done since 1998: 30 points, five assists, five steals. Mateen Cleaves, last player to do it. That's a heck of a game against a team <laughs> yeah. the team playing game. And you know, so um, you know, my hat's off to Coleman. And and him growing up and and handling that situation that could have been really tough and spun into a spiral. But uh, you know, we talk about ha- how do we handle a loss. We talk about that all the time, even though we stress winning constantly.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I always people always ask me about Coach Knight, huh? and probably Hartman was the same way. You played for a great coach at yep. Kansas State, Coach Hartman, and when you play in a basketball school like Illinois. Or a basketball school like Indiana or Kansas State, you got to be able to handle success. You know, I always say Coach Knight handled; he uh, got us to learn to handle success. You also got to be able to handle a loss because everybody's talking about it. Everyone around you, these kids is talking about it, so you got to be able to handle it,
4: particularly this time of year. No? <clears throat> oh, it's huge. It's a it's such a big part of it. And and again, I mean, you know. I'm disciplined enough. I'm not on social media. I don't have any, I don't even have an app. I mean, I have an account that somebody runs for me. I don't, and I don't read it. And, and I'll be honest. And I'm not sure I can handle all that. The good or the bad. And I don't need that dopamine rush. I don't need that. But I wish I could do that with, with our players. And, and, you know, we're, we're open another can of worms with social media and gambling and all, but the stuff, the stuff that they read is 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 mind-numbing, and trying to keep everything tight and in-house, and 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 making sure they hear you, not listen, but actually hear you, uh, is one of the great challenges today in 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 these programs. And then the, you throw the money thing with NIL, and you throw all of that thing in there. there there's a lot of outside noise, and trying to keep the character and the, and the, the sanctity of your locker room, right. Is, is a, is a real, real challenge both in, in, in winning and in losing. And, uh, uh, you know, I like to coach harder after we win and, uh, you know, just to, just to try to keep them grounded a little bit.
1: And Illinois, if people don't know is a great basketball school. I mean, not kind of great, a great, Basketball school. Where are you at with court storming, boss? You got a team that go, you know, people want to court storm you guys. Where are you at with
4: that? You know, I I'm all about the experience. And I I am I'm, I'm I get the players there, there I think there has to be a plan where you can get the players off. And I think you got to be sensitive to where the student sections are. And we've we've done it here. We've had it done to us, um, you know, I think we're, I think it's different. I think there's, um, there's the thing that scares me the most today is we have so much anger and hate sometimes that, it, that that somebody's gonna get really get hurt or they're gonna come after somebody or they're gonna not cover a bet, or whatever it is. And I think that's where we have to be really sensitive but I'm such a big fan and I mean, no one here will forget about us clinching the big 10 championship and that court storming and that feeling. And, and, and you, you know, to me college college is about creating memories and, and so many memories come from sporting events and, and, and those things are, are, so I, I, it's a fine line. I, I get it. But, uh, boy, in today's, today's world, there's, there's a lot of anger and hate out there. Um, and it's it's generated towards 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 people that it probably shouldn't be. Do you think there's really an answer to it? I don't know how you do it. I think I, don't I think what I, I I think there's I think everybody says yeah, let's have a plan, and and everybody has to have your 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 plan in place, whatever it is. And and let's be real. Let's let's look let's look at who's working a lot of these games as as ushers and and they're not keeping they're not keeping kids away from that. Um I think if you um you know and sometimes it's 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 you know, I I just think there's gotta be a a a, a decent way. I wish there was like a fifteen second second buffer to just get okay, yeah. we're not shaking hands, we know what's coming, and get off the court. And um, you let them then let them have their moment, you know. I I just don't know if there's a perfect answer to it,
1: Coach. You and I played at a time. We're about we're about the same age. You look so yep. much better than me. It's disgusting, but we we played at a time where you didn't have a handshake line. You know, I remember my my high school teammate played at Purdue. Games over, I found him. He found me. We hugged. We went off. I gotta tell you, man. I I have no say in nothing. I, I don't want people arrested like Billis, and but I hate that freaking handshake line, Coach. I hate that damn thing. I think that thing it, sucks. I always
4: hated it. It is. Um, th- there's there's a lot of factors into, in, into into that, and it's it's one of those things that <laughs> I understand the sportsmanship side of it. I I yeah. You 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 do battle and. And yet, it's. Um, um, I get it. I, under, I understand <laughs> it, and it's, it. It would be much. It would. It would. It would, it would help el- eliminate injuries in a court storming. Doing away with it. Yeah. We just get off. Just yeah, get, get off the hell off. Hey. Yeah, we're worried about the safety of our players at Penn State, and what a great environment that was playing in their old building, and and. But it's. It was like you're, you're worried about just getting off the court and not having some, some fan take a swing or, or a player take a swing or whatever. I mean, those, there's so many thoughts that go through your mind when that stuff happens. And, and Hey, I want know, last
1: thing before I let you go, I'm, I, you said something interesting that I did not deal with. Maybe you did. I, I don't know as a player and really as a coach, the gambling aspect of it, you've mentioned it twice. Um, are we – there's nothing to be done with that. The money is too big. Illinois has gambling. Indiana has gambling. Ohio has ga- – there's nothing you can do with that, right? How, how much do you talk to players about giving out information or, or involving themselves? I played against Toledo, and I found out later we, – we came back from a 17-point deficit in the second half, found out later one of Toledo's players was throwing the game. He got arrested and went to jail. Uh, Sammy Vajegas, how much do you talk about that stuff?
4: Quite a bit. Quite a bit now. Do you? Um, after, the, after the incidents that happened, um, I think the Big Ten, I you know, I was very proactive in trying to get an injury reports out um, before the game now. Um, information is of value. Well, it, you know, we're on a college campus, and if you see player A – and he's your leading scorer and he's walking around campus in a boot or a teammate tells his dad, Hey, I don't think, I don't think Johnny's playing today because he's, you know, he, he, he you know, he hit his head in practice. Well, the dad goes to the coffee pot at, at, at his work and says, yeah, I talked to my son last night. And now all of a sudden there's, you can't, you, you know, in the pro sports, you can hide information and, and there, but there is a reason they have injury reports. And I think it's it, that's a start for us. Um, I, I, you know, you, you start thinking about all the prop bets, Dan. I mean, there's there'll be a day and a time where conceivably you could have two guys not jump for the jump ball because there's a prop bet on it. <laughs> and and I think anything anything that challenges the integrity yeah. of competition stinks. And we've had guys that have gotten very, very nasty text messages and so on, because they missed a layup that didn't cover an over and under or whatever it was, I don't even, and, and, and that you can set the stands and bet. And, and, and I, so I think it's a really, a a big, big concern of mine. It has been since the, the day I've really gotten the job and, and you know, you, 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 you can't ever jeopardize the integrity of competition. And if we ever lose that, then, then our sport is done. And, uh, so we talk about it a great deal and that's a, probably not a very good answer to a, to a question that, that deserves a lot more thought and attention, but, no. um, it's a bit, it's a big part of social media. It's a big part of, 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 of sport. I mean, what's the biggest weekend of the year in Las Vegas? you know is is the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament and uh you know it's just uh it, it it's a real deal and it's accessible and it's part of what we do and whether we like it or not we have to keep trying to educate our players on it and uh uh so we talk about it a a pretty pretty good amount here
1: last last thing you've been around some really good teams and how good's this team how good's your team
4: uh, I think it's the best I've had here um we're, yeah. we're we I, I like our team, I like our pieces. I, I like our versatility. Um, we're different. you know, I think we're a little bit different. We don't have that, you know, Kofi Coburn um, I think we've we've been able to 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 play in some different different ways. Uh, Coleman gives us a unique piece in a pick and pop five who's an elite shooter. Uh, we've, we've tried to put this team together a little bit with a, with a mindset of postseason, Um, and, um, you know, we were, we were a little bit, Kofi was a two-time all American. I love him to death, but there, there were certain things we couldn't do with him. Um, and it, and it, and it hurt us. Um, but, uh, you know, Marcus Domas, Terrence Shannon, um, you know, we, we can score you know, we beat Iowa the other night, and, and, and Marcus and, and uh, uh, Terrence didn't have great games offensively. That's pretty comforting as a coach. I've never been able to do that before, as, as have my better players not play great offensively um, and, and be able to win a game and have guys, other guys step up. Our bench stepped up. We had 34 bench points. We're finally healthy. So, I I like our team. Um, You know, we've got areas we got to continue to get better at, and and we're working at that every day. But uh, uh, I love the character of this group. We got to continue to get tougher, nastier. You know, we got to get gritty and grimy and, you know, find that one possession that could be the difference. But uh, I like this group a lot.
1: Hey, you know, you said something, at least they said it on the broadcast. You said something I've never heard a coach say before about a player. They said on the broadcast that you said about Coleman Hawkins, hey, look, I don't need him to make plays. I just need him to get buckets.
4: Yeah. He led the, he was, he last, a, a year ago, Dan, he was one of the, I couldn't get him to shoot. We see him shoot every day <laughs> in practice. He's probably our best shooter, and he's an elite shooter. And and he wanted to play like Draymond. He wanted to throw no look passes and D, you know and 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 he he was he I think he had the worst turnover rate in the in the in the Big Ten a year ago. And I just needed him to score. I needed him to think about scoring. <laughs> he he did it in a in a positive way, trying to be a great teammate. But uh, just shoot the ball. And, and just, and, and think about scoring because he's, he's proven he can do that and he's had some, some big, big nights doing it. And I think it's the maturity of his game and the growth of his game. But, um, yeah, I mean, his, his, um, uh, you know, that's why I was upset with him at Penn state. He turned it over five times, uh, and he turned down countless shots and, you know, just, just when you're open, shoot it and, uh, you know plan for me is you know if you're if you can shoot the ball and you put time in and work on it damn it shoot the ball when you're open i want you to shoot it and you know so he's 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 handled that in a in a really positive way this year he's been really good at it and he's i still say he's one of the best shooters in in our league at 610
1: I just thought that was a fascinating statement. I did. I mean, you know, I know. I wish Coach Knight would have told me that, or Coach Hartman would have told you that. It would have lasted, you know. Like, damn, you have to tell me
4: twice. But I, I just I'm thought that you. was a fat. Yeah, hey, you know what, Jack? You, right? know, you know what, Jack Hartman told me, this is true. Huh? I'm, I'm starting, and I wasn't a very good player. I, I I'll be the first to admit it. But he goes, and now this is no no three point line, no shot clock. And he goes, I need you to understand you're the seventh option. (laughs) Man, I'm sitting here going, okay. Now I'm playing the point. And I said, Coach, can you elaborate on that a little bit? And he said, yeah. He goes, that means we're going to the first two options three times before you even think about shooting. (laughs) I said, okay. I didn't even play. Hey, Coach, but
1: Coach, I'm still starting though, right? I'm still starting? Yeah, Yeah, you're starting. Uh, yeah,
4: that's good. Okay, good, right? Whatever, whatever it took to get on the court. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it it's like you know, it's it was like Coach Knight's saying, you know, when I won't use the term, but like when when your butt hits the bench, and your butt tells your brain, you know, uh, you know, yeah, this, this isn't good. Your brain tells your body, I need to, <laughs> uh, you know, I need to play better. Yeah, we all wanted to play. Yep. I mean, if you if you made two if you had two turnovers in a game with with Jack, there was a chance that you might not play for a month. That's right, you know, and so right. you just you just you just you know, coach told me I was the seventh option. I was going to damn make sure that everybody else got got their looks before me. And I thought I was a pretty good shooter. Uh, it's it's a five man
1: team, and you're the seventh option, son. I mean, that's great, isn't it? I mean, Coach, just play me, please. You just put, hey, Coach Knight hit me in the face with two basketballs. It's in season on the break, and I was happy because I knew he'd feel bad, and I'd get in the game that night at Minnesota. You shitting me? (laughs) Come on. What are you talking about? (laughs) Hey, I'll let
4: you run, man.
1: Good luck the rest of the way. Keep it going. I love talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. That's a great Brad Underwood. Hey, just play me. I don't give a shit what you do to me. doesn't matter. I know. But boy, is he right with Coach Knight? Hey, I make two – same thing with you. I make two turnovers. Even my dad would say, well, you ain't playing for a month. I go, yeah, it saves you driving time. You don't have to come to a damn game. Don't worry about it.
4: (laughs) I mean, that – Now we would
1: have – now now we would have had to transfer and we would have had, you know – get my agent in there to talk to you. What the hell's going on here, coach?
4: You know, like it would have been an agent call. (laughs) Hey, I heard a great story the other day. This coach was telling me, he said, and he told me he knew I'd played for Jack Hartman. So he goes, imagine you played for Jack Hartman. It's 1984. And he calls you in the office at the start of the year and says, you're going to be one of the leading scorers in the league. And you're going to play 35 minutes a game. He said, What would you have done? I said, Shit. I said, I'd have been butt ass naked doing backflips down Aggieville. And I said, And I yes. would have been in the gym 10 hours a day working my ass off to, to make him proud for telling me that. He goes, Yeah. I, was, I just had a kid's agent and his parents call me and tell me I'm playing him too much. Huh? Yeah. Too much. Yeah. Too much, thirty-five minutes a game. Playing too much, one of the leading scores in 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 the country, or in in the, in their, in their league. And I said, I, "Well, I, it just goes I, to show I, you the the world of the world of a bitch and anger and hate. It doesn't matter. People just want something to bitch about and be angry about. And it it doesn't matter yes. if you play too much. You play, you play. It, it, it's it's. I, and I'm just telling you." Dan, like, there's a reason Kelvin Sampson's winning. I mean, it's it's loyalty. He's coaching his – he gets to coach him. He's got his son as a coach in waiting. Two former players as an assistant. His daughter is director of ops. Uh, he's got another daughter that's their general manager. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't spend very much in NIL. And he just – and, I mean, I got a former – I got a former – a staff member of mine who was his former manager – it's in practice. You should see the war rebounding drills they're doing. I mean, he's just, yeah. got, he's just got a bunch of dudes who love to play. They're not in it for money. They're not in it. They just want to play. And they got nowhere to go. I mean, they've they got no one on staff to go. They got no agent to go to. They got, he just coaches them. There's a reason he's winning.
1: No, that's true. Coach, I got to tell you, I feel like I've been, in, I've been around college basketball since 1981. And I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever heard that. You're playing my son too much. You're playing my guy too much. Yeah, <laughs> like really? Yeah.
4: yeah. Was what, what, what he out of pitch count? Are we saving him for I, the NBA? What are we doing? Well, that I mean, that's that's the world we're in. I mean, and again, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You, you, there's just people that you you can't you can't please, and and it's yeah. And I'm fortunate, man. I I mean, last year I didn't have very much fun. I mean, I, we had a young team and we found a way to get in the tournament and, and, and it was, it was, but it, I couldn't wait to get rid of some of them. And I mean, just, yeah. the, I couldn't even enjoy a win. And, and you, you're, yep. you're uh, you know, and when you, when you give kids money, you know, then they're, and especially when they haven't had it, then their parents get involved and their parents are around. And, and it's just that part of it is is a diabolical mess and I give me Marcus Domas who's driving a 2004 Pontiac Bonneville that you know and and 2000 point career score and in the gym every single day and you know plays to win and you know and even uh, I mean Terrence Shannon I mean he's as hard-working a kid as, as as I've had and you know it's just you know, no problems. Just They just want to win. They just want to be a good teammate.
1: Coach, I've had a blast talking to you, man. Thanks for coming on. See yeah.
4: you. bet. See you, Dan. See you, good brother. talk.
1: Bye, man. That's, Bye. that's my guy. I tell you, I root for him. I rooted for him when I was doing games. People like, you're rooting. You hate the Illini. No, I like Coach Underwood. Another day, another show, we went over. That's okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.